typically when somebody starts like progesterone or estrogen, whether it's a cream, pill, tincture, whatever, those receptors are like, oh man, I'm getting fed. This is awesome. However, if we have not addressed the, the reasons why, like for, again, for one woman that could be adrenal for another woman that could be a gut liver issue, right? If we have not addressed the reasons why the body's not producing those things, then we're going to see very, very temporary results. And typically it's like this crash and burn that happens. Hello, my friend. I'm so glad we're hanging out today. We are talking about menopause. If you've been experiencing vaginal dryness, hot flashes, chills, night sweats, sleep issues, mood changes, weight gain, slowed metabolism, and like maybe oodles of more things, and you're just really frustrated, you're not sure if the answer is hormone replacement therapy or supplements or diet or working out or cardio, and you're just absolutely confused. I wanted to have my friend Andrea on the show, who's a registered nurse. She's a functional hormone coach and life coach. This woman is brilliant. She was actually on our podcast in episode 399. So if you haven't listened to that episode, all up about hormones, go ahead, way back in the archives from December 2022, in an episode called Why Your Hormones Are Messed Up. And so today we're going to be talking about menopause. And what I love about Andrea's approach is that not only is she understanding of the symptoms, you know, what you're experiencing, what you're coming to her with, but she also understands the root causes causing those imbalances. And today we're really going to be talking about this balance between looking at both what shifts we need to make with our diet, the the weight loss issues we might be having or weight gain issues we might be having how to shift our workouts, what to do with sex drive. And then we get into a conversation around hormone replacement therapy, how to do it rightly when it's not going to work, if it's not working, why, and so much more. I'm so glad that we're having this conversation for all of you. Many of you have asked for it. So without further ado, let's cut over to our time with Andrea. Hey, my name is Leanne Vogel. I'm fascinated with helping women navigate how to eat, move, and care for their bodies using a low-carb diet. I'm a small-town holistic nutritionist turned three-time international best-selling author turned functional medicine practitioner, offering telemedicine services around the globe to women looking to better their health and stop second-guessing themselves. I'm here to teach you how to wade through the wellness noise to get to the good stuff that'll help you achieve your goals. We're supporting your low-carb life beyond the if-it-fits-your-macros conversation. Hormones, emotions, relationship to your body, workouts, letdowns, motivation, blood work, detoxing, metabolism. I'm providing the tools to put your motivation into action. Think of it like quality time with your bestie mixed with a little med school so you're empowered at your next doctor visit. Get ready to be challenged and encouraged while you learn about your body and how to care for it better. This is the Keto Diet Podcast. Hey, Andrea, how are you? Doing well, thank you. We're at the beach this week, so we're getting some sunshine and some much-needed R&R. That is awesome. Oh, it's amazing what the sun can do for us of just total relaxation. I know that my body totally feels it if I haven't been in the sun for a while. So I'm glad you're taking Absolutely. that time. Thank you. Yes. As a Pacific Northwest, you know, Westerner, we get a lot of rain and a lot of really dark days. So 
whenever we can get that break in sunshine is always a good thing. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So we had you on the show a couple of months ago in December where we were talking about just like overall hormone health, how to regulate things, how to improve things. And at the end of the show, we kind of touched a little bit on menopause, but we really didn't get deep into it. And I just, I love the way you approach health and wellness. So we chatted about coming back on the show and chatting about all things menopause. So today's episode is dedicated to menopause, what's going on, what to expect, what is quote unquote normal when it ain't normal and we shouldn't be experiencing that just because something is common doesn't mean that it should be experienced. Hormone replacement therapy and whether it's the be all end all and so much more. So I'm so excited to dive in. How did you get interested in this hormone menopause realm with your practice? Yeah, it's a really good question. So really, you know, my passion for working with women and their hormones started from my own horrible hormone mess, <laughs> dumpster fire, whatever you want to call it, postpartum with my first daughter. And it actually was, you know, as horrible as that experience was with lots of postpartum anxiety and depression and insomnia. And, you know, I, I could feel that it was very much like a physiologic issue in my body. It was not a physical, like a mental, emotional issue that, you know, my doctors kept trying to push me towards like, Hey, you just need medication. I was like, no, like I'm having heart palpitations. I'm having nausea. I'm having all of these other symptoms that don't like line up, but they were definitely worse before my cycle. Like I could tell something was different, you know, that one to two weeks before my period. So didn't get any help with conventional medicine and then went to a naturopath who really began to put a lot of different pieces of my puzzle together for me. A lot of symptoms like mood swings, you know, depression before my cycle that had never been addressed. And, you know, from the time I was like 12 or 13 years old. And so it really was that experience of walking that journey out, which was, I had to, you know, I had to change a lot of lifestyle things. I had to change my diet. I had to address food allergies and inflammation and um, that really began to just burn this passion in me, you know, for women who were really just falling through the net in the healthcare industry. Completely. And because this topic is so dedicated to menopause, I kind of want to set the stage for what are the top issues facing menopausal women and why? And then we'll kind of delve into all the nitty gritty. But what, what in your experience working with clients have you seen is like, the top issues facing these women? Absolutely. Well, I feel like there's a couple layers to that question because there's the issues they bring in, right? And then there's the issues that are really much bigger underneath. So we'll kind of start with the the issues that they bring in as their priority. Because I think it's important to talk about that as a practitioner because what we see in here as the most important thing may actually be different than what their priority is. And we somehow have to find that middle ground of like a starting point. So biggest issues would be hot flashes, night sweats, insomnia, mental changes. This is a big one. And this is one that often goes missed and undiagnosed by doctors, cognitive and mental and behavioral changes that women experience during menopause. And they're like, oh, I just thought I was getting older and getting more forgetful, but that's actually an indicator of some things that we need to be looking at. Loss of libido, loss of energy, and difficulty losing weight. I would say those are the biggest, you know, most life disrupting symptoms that women come in with. 
Yes, completely. And so if we want to just like flip up that rock and look at the underbelly of things, you said, you know, on the on the top layer, what clients and what women are coming to you or experiencing menopause and all those symptoms that you just described and those priorities, really, as a practitioner, what are you seeing kind of as the, it sounds like root cause underneath all of that? Like, yes, the hot flashes, the changes in mental capacity, but What's going on underneath that hood? Yeah, that's I love the way you said that because it really is about that. And honestly, it provides so much relief for people when we can explain to them why this is happening, especially when, you know, if they've tried hormone replacement therapy or even like herbals and things like that to boost their estrogen or progesterone and it's not working, they need to understand why it's not working. And so when we, you know, we pop up the hood, we can see First thing first, that the ovaries stop producing estrogen and progesterone. And then it's the brain, gut, the gut brain adrenal connection that then has to start producing those hormones in its place. So, my first question is, you know, how is the gut functioning? Is, you know, is it, you know, motility wise, how is that doing? Is there bacterial overgrowth or, you know, chronic inflammation or chronic stress that's going to pretty significantly impact? not only like their mood, but again, that ability to communicate to the adrenal glands. Adrenal dysfunction is probably one of the number one issues that I see, especially when we do lab testing, as to why they're not able to produce their essential hormones. Because again, it's their adrenals that have to take over that job. And then of course, there's dietary and lifestyle stuff in there there as well that we want to look at. We but the primary would be I would say liver, gut, brain and adrenals. We want to make sure that all of that stuff is working properly so that if we need hormone replacement therapy at some point, the receptors are working properly and there's not all of these obstacles, you know, preventing the reception of that support. Exactly. And what person do we know as practitioners that come to us have a perfect liver, a perfect gut? a well-functioning brain, including the glymphatic system working well, draining that brain every night, including sleep. That's a big piece of the brain health. And then well-functioning adrenals. So, right. you know, what I'm, hear- yeah. what I'm hearing you say is even years leading up to the experience of menopause, if there are women listening that are like, menopause, why am I listening to this? It's really important to understand that preparatory phase kind of in the back of your mind, liver, gut, brain, adrenals. I couldn't agree with you more, Andrea. Those four components leading into even overall hormone health at any age, Right. important components. Would you agree? Oh yeah, absolutely. And you know, that's one of the things that I I teach in my workshops because women are, are, you know, they're like, I'm, you know, a good 10 years away or I'm a good five years away. And I'm like, but really you're not though, because you're, you know, everything that you do now to support your hormones by managing your stress and dealing with food triggers and inflammation in your body is going to set you up for a much better experience because a lot of women are relying on their family history in the sense of like, oh, my mom had really great menopause. Awesome. And that that probably will benefit you. But that doesn't mean that there's not work to do because we live in a completely different environment than your mom had menopause in. So you, do you see what I'm saying? And those environmental factors absolutely play a role in that. Completely, completely. And so really the rest of this episode, I really want to dedicate to 
let's say we weren't set up well and we've experienced menopause or, you know, we're right on the cusp, you know, we've been like 11 months without a cycle. We're going to experience that moment pretty soon here. How do we move forward in this? How do we kind of manage all these symptoms? Like you were talking about, I really love that concept kind of in this episode, going back and forth between what we're experiencing, the hot flashes, those symptoms, and then under the hood, what's going on there. And I love that view for people as we talk through this. Now, I'd like to kind of define menopause a little bit, because when I asked the community what they wanted to hear about today's episode, there were a lot of questions about whether or not medical or total hysterectomy would count as menopause. And and when we know we have experienced menopause? Yeah, that's a really good question. So the technical definition of menopause is more than one year or 12 months plus without a cycle, without a menstrual cycle. Now, this can be a little bit confusing. And I, I do feel like there's a little bit of a gray area because I will work with women that are like, I went 13 months and then I had a cycle. I would still probably consider them being in menopause, but just that the cycles haven't like completely shut off yet. Because the thing is that once menses stops, it can be like a five to 10 year process of hormonal change after that. And I think that's where, you know, if you think about it as like the second puberty, when we first start our menstrual cycle, there's a good, you know, long period of time that our hormones are evolving and changing. It's very similar in menopause. It's just, if you think about your period as the ascent, menopause is the descent, right? So it's this descent in our hormones changing. So that being said, I would say, you know, 12 months or more without a cycle is pretty definitive what we look at. With that, we know that some women have, you know, perimenopause symptoms for quite a bit longer leading up to that. And at the same time, it doesn't mean that you'll experience all of those symptoms once your period stops. You know, you may not have hot flashes, you may not have night sweats, but there are other things that we want to look at, like digestive changes, weight gain, mental cognitive changes that are indicators of health. And then when we're talking about surgical, you know, having a hysterectomy is technically considered surgical menopause. So it is putting your body into menopause by removing the organ and therefore the the organ or the brain ovary or I'm sorry brain uterus ovary if it was a total hysterectomy communication which then does put you into menopause if the ovaries were removed as well a while back we were talking about my experience with h pylori it was not fun if you're not familiar this is a stomach infection it's terrible i hope that you never have to experience it one of the key things that was helpful as i was overcoming stomach pain stomach issues indigestion was apple cider vinegar i cannot even tell you what a difference apple cider vinegar made when i just wasn't feeling good in the belly now apple cider vinegar does a whole bunch of things beyond digestion but let's go through the basics it balances blood sugar banishing cravings and encouraging fat loss apple cider vinegar will improve protein absorption and digestion helping you break down animal protein so you can use those nutrients more effectively it stabilizes your blood sugar which helps improve energy and mood it aids in the healthful aging process it has been shown to lower morning glucose fasting glucose and help stabilize blood sugar by increasing the ability of our muscles to take up sugar from our blood the apple cider vinegar 
there in Paleo Valley supplement is paired with turmeric, ginger, cinnamon, and lemon, all organic for even further support. Plus you won't burn your esophagus drinking this stuff. Now I've been known to mix some apple cider vinegar and with some brewed tea. In fact, I think one of those recipes is in my book, The Keto Diet. But if you don't feel like playing around with that stuff and supplements are just so much easier for you and you think you could benefit from ongoing apple cider vinegar supplementation, head on over to paleovalley.com and load up and grab a couple of bottles of their apple cider vinegar complex and whatever else catches your eye. The superfood bars are amazing if you're looking for a recommendation. And when you enter the code KETO, all in caps, at checkout, you'll receive 15% off your first order. Again, that's paleovalley.com and use the code KETO for 15% off your first order. Okay, great. I love that. I love kind of thinking of just like the process of puberty, that ascent. Now we're going into this descent, which is menopause. And I love that vision and that might help as we move forward. So let's talk first about diet, because this is the Keto Diet Podcast. And many of the women listening are like, but just tell me what to eat. What have you seen when it comes to that shift, when it comes to intake, hunger, diet, what we respond to? Maybe are we more carbohydrate sensitive? Do we need more protein? What what are we seeing as it relates to diet? Good question. So I would say that this depends very heavily, and I think you would agree with me on this, very heavily on the health of the gut before you enter into menopause. So a lot of times, you know, let's say I'm talking to somebody and they're like, oh, I always had mood swings before my cycle and bloating. And because when I'm doing like an assessment on somebody who's in menopause, I like to know what their periods were like, because it does help me to kind of find maybe some hidden like areas of dysfunction. And so if they're saying they had mood swings and sugar cravings and weight fluctuations and bloating before their cycle, then to me, that is a big red flag that there's some underlying gut issues that are going to carry us into menopause, which absolutely will affect not only our blood sugar regulation, but the kind of foods we can tolerate, our our sugar cravings. And so once I have a good idea of like, what is their overall kind of gut health picture looking like, then I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going to be able to better assess, like, these are where we need to start with food, which I know is not the answer your listeners are looking for because it's not a one size fits all. But I would say that with that, we also do tend to see more sensitivity to sugars and carbohydrates. Like the types of carbs are, you know, more difficult to, you know, it's like I could have potatoes and gain five pounds, or I could have rice and butter and not gain any weight. And there's this kind of confusion about whether or not to eat carbs at all or whether or not they're going to be able to tolerate them. Definitely a need for an increase in protein and fat. I would say those are the two biggest ones. Again, because of the mental cognitive and hormonal needs during that stage rely a little bit more heavily on the amino acids from proteins and fat. Would you agree with that? Is that kind of similar to? 100%. I think protein... What, what... The thing that has driven me the most crazy through being in the ketogenic space since 2014, which is nuts, time flies, is the demonization of protein. And I think we're getting better at this, but the whole gluconeogenesis situation, if you eat too much protein, it's going to kick you out of ketosis and blah, 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 blah. Protein is the most essential to the entire situation, especially for women, especially older women. like. 
protein. One billion percent, without a doubt, needs to be top priority. In fact, I'm kind of getting to the point with my clients that I would rather them hit their protein amount on a meal-by-meal basis before we even talk about ketones. I could care less about that situation. I really want to make sure that you have enough protein. So I agree with you. I agree with you completely. Absolutely. And then, yeah, that makes total sense because I do, you know, especially if there's been, you know, kind of a history of like chronic dieting or which, I mean, pretty much any of us like in our thirties, forties have that in our, you know, that's just the generation that we were (laughs) raised in. Yeah. Everyone. It's a lot harder to get, I don't want to say get over that mentality, but it's a little trickier to work through the mental mindsets that have come with that and really retrain them how to eat for their body and for the specific obstacles that we're facing. And so sometimes what I'll, you know, I'll give kind of some basic guidelines of like, okay, we need to be, you know, aiming for, let's say 20 to 30 grams of protein per meal. If you're splitting that up three times a day, we want to get a robust amount variety of proteins. You need to make sure you're getting animal products in there. We need those heme-based but you know, foods and nutrients. And then we start focusing more on like the, you know, getting your vegetable intake and the cruciferous veggies. And, you know, then we kind of, we peel it back layer by layer, but we definitely, I definitely don't, you know, land blast them with 21 things they need to change in a day, but we got to build on this. And then once they're trying things and they, they're really starting to identify, okay, I can have carbs, but when I eat this, this, and this, I feel bloated. I feel foggy then that's how I know like there's some more work that we need to do on the gut. And either we start implementing some testing to see what the issues actually are, or I can just tell clinically, you know, how we need to move forward with that. Yes, completely. Couldn't agree with you more. Now this kind of leads into the question about weight because there was something you said, I can't recall exactly what it is, but it made me feel nervous for women listening of like, Um, does that mean I'm going to have to eat more? And like, you just listed off a lot of food that I restrict you. Did you just say rice and butter? And did you just say potato? And so uh, there's a lot of, because we were talking about the diet mentality, a lot of women are going into menopause, eating 1200 calories, 1300 calories, also working out. Now they're gaining weight and the draw to just eat less and work out more to try to control this. Because let's be honest, when you see your body growing, there's a little bit of a panic that occurs. And especially with menopause where the hormones are changing, for a lot of women, it feels like we're totally out of control and it can spiral into this whole situation. So what advice do you have for a woman that might be just I don't want to say totally freaking out, but you know that feeling when your body is just like not doing what you want it to do and and you're freaking out about it. Oh yeah. No, it's real. I mean, a hundred percent real. And it's the same thing like with pregnancy when you start gaining weight or, or postpartum when you're supposed to be losing, but you start gaining and really there's all these hormonal factors going on, right? So I think it's important to recognize that there is an emotional reaction to that and that's okay. But we also want to give some space to that emotional reaction and and allow us to dig into it a little bit and figure out why are we responding this way. So that being said, and I, I think that you would agree with me on this, that weight and BMI are not great indicators of overall health for women. 
they're terrible indicators of overall health for women. What we want to look at is how does this person feel in their body? Are, do they have adequate energy? Are they able to do their daily activities without shortness of breath? Are they able to do something a little bit strenuous without pain, without discomfort, without feeling like they're going to pay for it later, like with some significant adrenal fatigue? And then we want to look at like maybe some basic metabolic, you know, panel blood work type stuff. So we're looking at, you know, lipid profiles and, you know, and like potassium, those kind of things that let us know how is, what is their metabolism looking like? Now that can take a long time to get to the mental space where that is now your baseline. That's what I now look like, look at for my overall health. Do I like the fluffiness around my abdomen? Not particularly, but do I feel good in my body? Yes, for the most part. So that's my win. Now, that being said, I know that not that's not everybody's where they're at right now. And so I think for each person, there does kind of have to be this period of redefinition of, of what is health when it comes to my weight. And it may not look like what I think it's supposed to look like. Like, I will never look like I looked when I was 14. Praise God for that, you know, in the sense of like, my body shouldn't look like that again. I've had babies, I've had miscarriages, I've had a lot of life lived. And so I do think there needs to be a space for allowing some redefinition in the health community with that and and working with our clients through some of that mental stuff, which I know that you do well. That being said, if weight loss is the goal or one of the goals, then what we really need to be looking at again is the adrenals and the gut brain connection. Because where one of the patterns that I typically see, especially when we start digging into testing, let's say, you know, using the Dutch hormone panel and maybe some, you know, complementary blood work is that cortisol is either really high, like the there's an inversion of cortisol, meaning that it's higher in the evening, lower in the morning, or it's completely flatlined. And so there's really nothing for the hormones to draw from. Like there's no, you know, you can't build progesterone, you can't build DHEA, you can't build any of that stuff with the adrenals dysfunction, working dysfunctionally like that. And that of course is going to impact, you know, our blood sugar regulation. Absolutely. Anything that impacts your adrenals will impact your blood sugar regulation. And so there just are a couple other layers beneath that. Should I eat potatoes? Can I have rice conversation that are a little bit more complicated? Would you say that's true? Completely, completely. And I think that leads to the next piece from diet. I mentioned it a little bit, just the working out and you're mentioning adrenals and can we expect just naturally that the workouts we did in our thirties, early forties is just going to look different. Uh, Muscle definition will look different. Or can we expect, you know, if we were going to the gym and, you know, working really hard on that over a decade before menopause, are we still going to see those shifts? And do we need to change our workout program or just how we're caring for our body? Or is now a good time to start doing those things? Or how do we manage workouts through menopause? Absolutely. And Yes, really good questions on that because it yes, we should expect that it will change because our our bone needs and our muscle needs are very different as we enter menopause. We tend to need things more like weight training, strength training to provide that kind of resistance to our bones and our muscles. But also one of the things that we're learning, and I wouldn't say recent, but like recent in medical terms, which is like right the last 10 plus years. 20 um, years. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe 20 years. I haven't looked into it recently, but is the role that muscle definition plays in our endocrine system. 
and how, you know, muscle movements, strength training, not being super aggressive, but with some moderation. And, and obviously, you know, if you don't know anything about doing strength training, then find somebody who can help you learn that for sure. But with that, it's that how that strengthens the endocrine system and helps it to function more optimally. So I would definitely say it tends to be much less cardio and a lot more of let, let's focus on the strength of our body with some cardio mixed in, like, you know, walking to a pace where it's a, just getting a little bit hard to talk, but you're not breathless. Like that would be a good place for most people to start. And then you'll see your endurance expand from that point. But the aggressive cardio where it's like you're focusing on burning 1200 calories or 600 calories in a session is not an optimal starting point, you know, point or even goal for most women in menopause. Completely. And not to mention when you're doing that hard of cardio, it's going to ramp up your inability to feel satiated with your meals. And so it creates (laughs) this like imbalance of just like, I'm trying to get... Exactly. But I'm, I'm stuck. Like I need food right now. And that's usually not helpful when really at any age, unless you're an athlete and require that much cardio, I always feel like it's, it's the women in their like sixties or so. And they're the ones that are always hogging the cardio machines. And I'm like, stop, come over here. Let's lift weights together. You know, like come over here. (laughs) Cause it's, it's, not going to help. It's yeah, totally. So I feel you on that for sure. Agree with you. Okay. Sex drive. That's a big piece and can affect relationships and be super frustrating. Is this a normal experience? What can we do about this? Are there ways around this? How do we navigate this change? Absolutely. Really good question. I would say common, but definitely not something that we have to accept as our normal for menopause. And what I mean by that is there are several changes, both anatomical and physiological that lead to that. So you have the loss of lubrication because estrogen is lowering, right? That can lead to pain during intercourse, which obviously is not an ideal situation. We also have like changes to the structure of the pelvic floor because of those hormone changes that can lead to pain and discomfort. So it is important to look at that as well. But kind of, again, if you peel that back one more layer, what we want to be looking at with that is, okay, what are the things that influence lubrication? If it's estrogen, then what are some ways we can support estrogen? Well, number one, we're going to be looking at the adrenal gland function. Is it producing DHEA or, you know, and is it producing estrogen? Because if we just throw, you know, estrogen based support at you, like an herbal or suppositories or even hormonal, you know, hormone replacement therapy, but we're not looking at the adrenals, then that's going to impact really how, kind of like I said at the beginning, how your body receives that supplemental support. So we do want to be looking at, you know, if, if there's overall adrenal dysfunction, that's not able to produce estrogen. Typically when we start supporting the adrenal glands and the gut, we will notice positive improvements with libido. Sometimes, you know, there's other factors in there that we need to look at as well. But generally speaking, we've, you know, we've seen that improve with women, you know, by supporting those different processes, supporting lubrication, getting some pelvic floor care. Pelvic floor physiotherapy is amazing at just identifying if there's any anything structural that's changing, you know, if there's any prolapse or you know, along the spectrum of prolapse that would be leading to discomfort in that area. It's not something that 
we just have to tolerate by any means. And there absolutely are great resources out there now to help us overcome that. So I would say common, but not normal, and definitely not something that we want to just accept as like the end of our era, you know? Completely. And we're probably going to talk about this as it relates to hormone replacement therapy, testosterone pellets, which are the bane of my existence. Um, In just a moment, we're going to talk about hormone replacement therapy. I have one more question as it relates to just overall symptoms and management of these things as we experience menopause, and that is sleep. Mm. Are you getting any? Because most women aren't when they're experiencing menopause. The the I fall usually the thing is I fall asleep fine, but then I'm waking up every one to two hours, or I wake up at two o'clock. I can't fall back asleep. I don't remember what it's like to sleep through the night. What's going on there? Do the adrenals have something to do with it? And how the heck do we get more sleep? <laughs> Such a good question. And and yes, absolutely. I will say. Typically, the women that I see that with are are women who also experience tended tended to experience mood and insomnia around their cycles as well. Not a hundred percent. That's not like you know an NCBI study of you know a thousand people, but just as an observation. So with that, there's two big things that I look at here. Yes, adrenal function. We want to look at what the overnight cortisol pattern is doing. Because there can be, you know, either if if the cortisol is too low, then that can cause sleep issues. If it's too high, that can cause sleep issues in part because of also how it impacts blood sugar, right? And that can cause some night waking for women. The other piece to this is those neurotransmitter changes or the brain changes that we talked about earlier in the episode. And those are things like, you know, we our production of serotonin and dopamine and, and melatonin even can decrease as we get older. And so there are some, you know, some ways that we can help support that by supporting the gut brain axis by, you know, providing certain nutrient building blocks. Again, protein is huge for this because the, we get those basic neurotransmitter building blocks from the amino acids and protein. And so sometimes that protein deficiency will show up with insomnia and sleep issues. Completely couldn't agree with you more. I know that when I personally increased my protein substantially, I have been sleeping so much better. Yes, completely. And so to kind of like wrap up, we've we've talked about diet, we've talked about weight, workouts, sex drive, sleep. These were like the top key things on top of the hood. We've talked a little bit about what's going on in the root causes of this. To kind of wrap up this section of our episode, I'm hearing you talk a little bit about testing. You mentioned the Dutch, you mentioned some GI tests, maybe like the GI map sort of thing. You've talked about blood work. Would you kind of summarize that if a woman is experiencing menopause or even a little bit before, kind of like in that gray zone, Would it be beneficial to kind of do an under the hood check and do some of this testing to kind of determine what's going on and how to support? Absolutely. Yes. So I typically start specifically my menopausal women, sometimes my perimenopausal women, if I'm getting the sense that there's some vague kind of stuff going on that I just don't have a clear enough picture to treat always start them with a Dutch hormone panel. And the reason why I do that is because it does show us, you know, what their adrenal glands are doing. How is their cortisol? Those, you know, big key factors, what is their estrogen doing? You know, and sometimes we'll do that even for women who are on hormone replacement therapy, because we want to see what is their body actually responding to? 
And that gives us a really good, you know, a really good baseline for where we need to focus our efforts. That way we're not, you know, treating estrogen when we really need to be treating adrenal dysfunction. Yes, completely. I was traveling for the day and I had packed myself a lunch. It had all these tasty things in it. I was so excited to chow down, but I had to go to a meeting and I forgot my lunch kit with my husband. Now I'm sitting at that meeting. It's going to be like a four to five hour meeting. I'm pretty hungry. I have my big ginormous 50 ounce water bottle beside me. I don't even have electrolytes. I'm digging through my purse thinking maybe, maybe I left a snack in my bag And to my surprise, there was a little packet of sea salt macadamia nuts, and I must have squealed because people looked over, and I was so excited, and man, did it pack a punch. I was so thankful to have those little fat bombs in my purse. Now, macadamia nuts are one of my favorite nuts. They are high in fat, low in carbohydrates, so incredibly satiating. Now, A lot of us keep fat bombs. You know, we went through that whole phase where we had all these fat bombs sitting around. I know I did. Maybe you're still in that phase of your ketogenic diet where you're spending all this time, energy, and money making different types of fat bombs. I encourage you instead to check out House of Macadamias. They make the most delicious macadamia nuts. Each little packet is loaded with flavor. They have onion, sea salt, zesty salsa, chocolate, white chocolate, and white chocolate raspberry dipped, dairy-free flavors of macadamia nuts, and there's no funky ingredients. It's like a great replacement to chips. If you like chips or little snacky things, Oh, these packets are incredible. When you go to houseofmacadamias.com slash KDP and check out their selection of fat-fueled snacks, their bars are really good too. And if you like what you see, you can use the coupon code KDP20 for 20% off your first purchase. That's houseofmacadamias.com slash KDP and use the code KDP20 for 20% off. And one of the questions that was very common is like, I feel like we've answered this, but I'm just going to kind of summarize here a little bit. A lot of people were asking is, do I need to approach menopause with just balanced hormones? And this kind of gets into the hormone replacement therapy and the standard method of care when it comes to menopause is let's test your hormones. They're imbalanced. Here are the hormones. Take these. You'll be great. And what I'm hearing you say is, Like, yes, hormones can be imbalanced, but there's so many things like under that hood that we need to address. We talked about liver, gut, brain, adrenals. When we are going to our allopathic doctor and we're saying, my life is a mess. I hate menopause. Get me out of this. Help me. And they're running our hormones via blood tests. They say it's fine. Or maybe they recommend hormone replacement therapy. Where's the disconnect? Because a lot of women get on hormone replacement therapy Maybe it works for a month or two, and then it just doesn't feel all that great. How can we fix what's going on here? Yeah, it's a really good question. And and sadly, it is very common. I would say I know very, very, very few women that are on hormone replacement therapy as a standalone treatment that's actually helping them. Very few women. So, which makes me wonder why the heck are we only prescribing that? But that's a topic for another day. So, I would say what's typically going on there is again, you know, your body is like it's hungry for, if you think about these progesterone and estrogen molecules, because they are 
they do, our body depends so much on them for many different processes in the body. So typically when somebody starts like progesterone or estrogen, whether it's a cream, pill, tincture, whatever, those receptors are like, oh man, I'm getting fed. This is awesome. However, if we have not addressed the the reasons why, like for again, for one woman that could be adrenal, for another woman that could be a gut liver issue, right? If we have not addressed the reasons why the body's not producing those things, then we're going to see very, very temporary results. And typically it's like this crash and burn that happens where like I was feeling great for two months and then I am right back to where I was two months ago and I feel awful. And so what we want to do is there is a place for hormone replacement therapy. I do believe there are some women that benefit from it under certain circumstances, which for me is typically only if we've done, you know, we've addressed the root causes thoroughly. We have supported your adrenal glands. We are, you know, addressing stress factors in your life. We're optimizing your sleep. We're optimizing your nutrition. And there's still a deficit there for whatever reason, then we can begin adding in those supports or working, you know, collaboratively with an allopathic doctor to get those additional supports in place. But typically that, that would, why that happens is because again, the root causes have not been appropriately addressed. Yes. And I think the statement HRT is not a standalone treatment kind of just summarizes it so well, so well, because a a very, 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 very common, like probably 97%, if I had to choose a number common of women that I work with who have experienced this, they've gone to their doctor, they've said menopause sucks, test me. They've determined that testosterone is the reason why they're experiencing everything. And if they just get a pellet, everything will be better. Oh gosh. And most of the time, these women end up having such high estrogen. Like I have seen insane levels that I didn't even think was possible because these pellets go into our body. Testosterone will convert into estrogen via aromatase. And if your liver is not on point and your gut microbiome is messed up, there's some sort of dysbiotic pattern that's encouraging glucuronidase from reactivating estrogen. You have this like perfect storm of estrogen excess. And like this, every time I see a pellet, I'm like, Okay, maybe you will be maybe one of those people that is not affected by this, but I have not, I have not seen that yet. (laughs) Right. Well, and I think that's, I mean, when you said that HRT is not a standalone treatment, absolutely. Because what is being missed there is that every hormone works in biofeedback to every other cell in the body and every other hormone. So you can't just treat testosterone and expect that only testosterone will be affected. You can't just treat estrogen and expect that only estrogen will be affected. It, it, the body just does not work that way. So yes, that would be kind of the nutshell, I think. <laughs> That's why I'm like, this completely. doesn't make any sense to me. Somebody explain it in a way that I can understand, but really it's because it's just not, it's not right. It's not accurate at all. Well, and I think that goes to the broader conversation, which we don't have like oodles of time to talk about. But if you just, if you go to your doctor and you say, I'm having a gut problem, they refer you to a GI doctor, or I'm having a nose problem, they refer you to an yeah. Up- yeah, exactly. And so there, we have these like silos and there's lack of understanding that the body is a holistic being and what you do to this is going to, it's sort of like the whack-a-mole game, right? You hit one and then three pop up and you're like, what the heck? And so 
I, I don't want this conversation to end up being poo-pooing on HRT. I am personally on HRT, having had hypothalamic amenorrhea due to an eating disorder for as many years as I did. My adrenals will just never be perfect and or even close to perfect. And I have to take DHEA. And so that has been just incredible for me. And along with the other things, you know, that liver, gut, brain, adrenals, parasites, metals, all the different things culminate into this perfect holistic program for me. So I I don't want anyone to hear this and be like, ah, oh, they just poo-pooed on HRT. No, 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 no. No, it's not great. at all. Yeah. Yeah. It's, cool. But, and it has its place, just like you said. I mean, I had a brain injury from, let's see, 2000, I don't remember, 2010 that went undiagnosed that was right in that pituitary like area of my brain that Absolutely. Like that's something and it affected my adrenals, which is part of the reason why they still kind of tend to be on the the weaker, lower functioning side. And so there is absolutely a place for understanding, just like you said, that sometimes there are these variables that we, you know, thank God we have HRT for those situations so that we can support the body as part of that, that puzzle piece. Yes, completely. And so to kind of like wrap up if, if you could give some advice to individuals, what are like five things? Because we talked about a lot of stuff and some of the stuff was like pretty topical and things you can do. And other stuff is like, now you have to hire somebody and do this test and all the things. What are like five things that a woman could do like to improve their situation with menopause like pretty quickly? Like what are some of the steps they could do and start thinking about as they move forward on this journey? Yeah, I would say number one is to to look at this as a journey and that, you know, there is not a pill that's going to necessarily solve the journey, but if we can accept it as a journey and a process, that can be really helpful. Two, I would say, you know, work on getting a handful of of some sort of vegetable on every plate that you have throughout the day. You would be amazed at how much just getting those phytonutrients throughout the day. And if you have to start with way less than that, like a teaspoon, because you're not used to eating that many vegetables, that's okay. Start somewhere, but but aim for that. That's going to provide you a lot of you know the fiber and the bulk, but also the phytonutrients. Staying hydrated is probably the most underestimated liver supporting tool without you know, for lack of a better word. And by hydrated, I'm not just talking about water. I'm talking about minerals. Cause I know we talked about that last time too. <laughs> so making sure you're getting hydrated, you're getting, you know, half approximately half your body weight in ounces of water. That's a big one. Looking at your sleep patterns. And if sleep is a really big struggle for you, I would still encourage you to look at that nine to 12 PM window and create some sort of relaxation habit during that window, even if you're having sleep problems. So if you're having insomnia, it's really easy to be like, well, I'm just going to stay awake because I'm going to be awake anyway. When really we still need to kind of train our body to get into a state of relaxation, that's going to help, you know, kind of mitigate that cortisol, adrenal stuff that is impacting the sleep. I think that was four. I'm trying to think of a fifth one. Protein, get protein pay it, you know first step is just start making a list of what you're actually eating and getting a kind of a rough estimate of how much protein you're actually getting with your meals 
because I know for me, I grossly overestimated. I was like, oh yeah, I'm for sure getting, you know, 75 grams and not even like not even close. Like half. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe like maybe 20, you know, it was not ideal. So really looking at that and seeing, you know, oh, I'm really not getting enough protein. And that is like we talked about, it's a big deal. So start there and then start, you know, getting, testing some things out as far as protein sources that your body enjoys and that you actually enjoy eating and then work with somebody if you need to. Yes, completely. On protein, I've discovered that there are certain types of protein that will fill me and satiate me and give me better energy. You know, like a protein powder just fills in the gaps. It doesn't really do much except help me hit my macros. So if, if, if you're relying really heavily on protein powder, that could be something. I know that for myself personally, beef, oh man, when I eat that stuff, I am Wonder Woman. It is so great for me. Turkey works better than chicken, those sorts of things. Like that's, that's what you're talking about, right, Andrea? Is like getting detailed of like, what are the things that light you on fire in a good way? Like, how do we, how do we rev things up? And those details, I think you'd be surprised at how much you can do with just those little shifts. And I agree with you on hydration. It is very rare to see blood work of a person that's well hydrated. I have one client that drinks a specific type of water. And every time I see her blood work, I'm like, I really need to invest in this water maker because your hydration is the best I've ever seen. That's amazing hydration is so, 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 so key. So I couldn't agree with you more. Andrea, thank you so much for coming on the show today. It is always such a blast to chat with you about things. I just love it so much. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's always a privilege. And I I always learn something from you every time I listen to your show. So thank you so much. Wow. Well, you're welcome anytime. And uh, I will include your show notes and links and all those sorts of places. Where can people find out more from you, get in touch with you? What are the best ways to do that? Yeah. The best way is on my website. It's www.abundantwellnesswithandrea.com or on Instagram. I've got a ton of stuff on Instagram that I love the engagement there. So that's at Abundant Wellness with Andrea. Amazing. Thanks again for coming on the show. Have a great day, everyone. I hope you really enjoyed our show today. You can get more from Andrea by going on Instagram at Abundant Wellness with Andrea. And then her website is AbundantWellnessWithAndrea.com. I hope you'll check her out. Give her a follow. She is a wonderful human being. I'm so glad for her to come on the show and share her brilliance. I hope you really got something out of today's episode, and we will see you back here for another episode of the Keto Diet Podcast next week. Okay, bye. Thanks for listening. Join us next Tuesday for another episode of the Keto Diet Podcast. Looking for more resources? Go to healthfulpursuit.com for keto meal plans, weight loss programs, low-carb recipes, and oodles of free resources to get you going. The Keto Diet Podcast, including show notes and links, provides information in respect to healthy living, recipes, nutrition, and diet, and is intended for informational purposes only. The information provided is not a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment, nor is it to be construed as such. We cannot guarantee that the information provided on the Keto Diet Podcast reflects the most up-to-date medical research. Information is provided without any representation or warranties of any kind. Please consult a qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding your health and nutrition program. 